Hey everybody, so um, welcome to our second um, podcast, videocast for relational leadership. I'm Stephanie Clements. And I am Sean Dolly. Wow, you're sound, you know, now we got the microphone <laughs> and he's sounding really, you know, professional here. But um, definitely want to, I'm excited about this one because I think it's so important in leadership where we're going to talk about authenticity and gaining respect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that respect is important, not only from those below you, from those above you, our peers, you know, I mean, um, yeah. it, it allows you to get a lot more done. Sure. I mean, anytime the relationship you have with somebody, whether it's just simply an acquaintance, a friend, a coworker, somebody following you, somebody you're leading, if there is not some foundational component of respect, boy, it sure makes it hard for that relationship to be productive. Um, If there is a relationship where respect is completely missing, that's probably one where both people are essentially using each other. Like the other has something of value. Sure. And that is a, that's that's a, not a long-term sustainable, you know, dynamic. Right. Right. Um, So we also, you know, we were talking a little bit about dynamics and the fact is that there's a lot of people in leadership positions that, are not necessarily leaders. And to me, a leader is somebody that their dynamic makes you want to follow them. Right. You know? Oh yeah. We, we've all had those people that we've had to follow. Right. Because they had the formal authority. And then there's those people that you want to follow. Right. And at some point I stumbled into this idea where typically in a, in an organization, nonprofit, uh, athletic, commercial, if there's a real healthy culture and just a, a great vibe, basically what you find is that if that group of people were hypothetically picked up and dropped off on a deserted island, the leadership structure probably wouldn't change as much. Right. Because there's something intrinsic about people's you know really true desire. Whereas if you think about organizations that are highly dysfunctional, you recognize that, you know what, once that leader loses whatever formal authority they have, it is going to go from zero to Mad Max dystopian Thunderdome in a right, heartbeat, right? right because right. they only have nothing but authority to rely upon. Right. So I think, you know, one of the, um, and I experienced this myself because I went to work for my dad. Okay. And, you know, when you go in, I mean, everybody is immediately a, a bit critical. Sure. Of, of yeah. special treatment. Sure. The, what yeah. are, you know, yeah. um, for me, my dad was that much harder on right, me, right. Um, to make sure that I didn't look like I was getting yeah. special treatment, and and that was very frustrating for me as starting off in in my career yeah. at the time because um, how old were you? Uh, I was I started working for him whenever I was twenty. Oh, okay. And so, so I was young. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a little okay. while, you know, very uh-huh. new to the workforce and realizing that you know. I was having to be the one, if somebody had to stay late, it was going to be me. He wasn't going to ask somebody else. You know, if somebody had to come in on a weekend, it was me. Yeah. Um, Those kind of things. And so, um, you know, to get kind of, to gain the respect of those that I worked with, I had to work harder. Um, But that's not always the case when a kid comes in. Um, sometimes they are given special treatment. There can be a bit of an entitlement mentality and, you know, family dynamics are already difficult enough. Right. And at 20, that's that 
transition from childhood to adulthood. Right. And, you know, my, my youngest is 22. And so like, I appreciate how as your kids get older and as you once upon a time with a kid, the relationship between mom and dad with the children, it, it has to change. Right. 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 Uh, a few weeks back, I can't remember what exactly it was that my wife did, but you know, my 22 year old soon to graduate from IU son was like, mom, my goodness gracious. I mean, he was, she did, she's like mothering him. Uh And, uh, and it reminded me of when I had just graduated pilot training. So we're at the ceremony and I'm standing in a small circle with other now card carrying us air force aviators. And my mom is standing there and I've got wings on my chest and I'm feeling, you know, puffed up, good about myself. And in my periphery, I see her looking up at me. And before I could react, she licks her palm and goes yeah. up and like wipes down my hair. Like, mom, like I'm all grown up. Like you can't right, do that. Right? Right, right. But I told my son, I said, buddy, I don't, I don't know at what age they will stop mothering you. It, it, it's not 49. I'll yeah, tell you that. Right. But as you transition into adulthood, you take what is already a tenuous dynamic and then you interject it into the workforce. Yeah. And I could only imagine how tough that might have been to navigate. Because yeah. like you said, you knew in your heart of hearts that your dad was being a little bit harder on you than he might have been if you were just somebody yeah, off the screen. Right. And yet, despite all that, some number of people, no matter what he did, no matter how you acted, would probably always assume. Yeah, that I had it easier. Nepotism. Yeah. She just walked right into it. Right, right. So, and then on the other side of that, now, you know, I own a company, brought my son in and had to let him know, I'm like, this isn't a gift. You know, you, you are going to be, you know, eventually the leader of this, but it's not a gift and you have to earn it and you've got to get in and be able to do the work because I do believe that unless you know, and you've done it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell somebody the expectations and, and that's not always going to be the case where you have to get in and do it, but right. they can respect it a lot more. I actually, I worked for somebody who felt like we should be able to make a certain number of sales calls every day for things. And it, it really was a, it wasn't a workable number. If you were going to create any kind of relationship yeah. as you're, Call I'm me, curious, know. was the person who established that high bar somebody who had done that job previously? No. Oh, okay. See, so, so that's where I say, that if they had yeah. done that, yeah. they would know this is the expectation. But sure. to come in and do it and, you know, and them saying, we need these numbers, so this is what you need right. to do. Yeah. And, and it left people feeling defeated instead because they couldn't meet the expectations. Right. And so um, and then realizing and becoming more angry because, you know, you've never done it. You don't know. So why are you getting on to me for not having made that when I'm out there hitting the pavement every day? That's right. And and people watch the boss closely. right? Yes. So, you know, as a leader, you have to figure out quickly that everything you do, everything you don't do, everything you say, every time you were silent is being observed right and people will sometimes erroneously attach any number of motivations to it well the reason she did this or the reason he didn't do that and then they'll in the absence of information sometimes just manufacture it but as a boss i feel like there's two components if if you have done to some degree what the people are doing that you're leading 
it provides you some objective familiarity. Like right. you actually have some some true insights into the nature of the, the product, you know, the good or the service. Sure. But then beyond that pure tangible familiarity with it, when they on a gut level know that, okay, the boss has done this. Right. You know, the boss has been out in the rain digging that dish. You know, the boss has made those late night sales calls. You know, there's something that provides you credibility there. Sure. That, that is it's really hard to arrive at any other way. Now, the CEO at Ford is probably not expected on the second shift to operate the forklift to move right, raw materials, right. right? You know, so to some degree, the higher up you go, just by necessity, more and more of the operation will be things with which you have no right. firsthand experience. Sure. And yet, somehow people always kind of know if you're the type of man or woman that has done the types of things that sure. they've done, right? And empathy. You're not, and it, not scared to get your hands dirty, that you're willing that's to, right. to do those things, that's right. but you've worked your way up that you don't, you know, I mean, and, and a very similar, I mean, I own a remodeling company, uh-huh. right? So I have not done all of those jobs. I've done some. And, um, and so that's where I have to rely on, on my team, and the guys to know what they're doing and trust them also to be able to do those things. Sure. Um, and so then that just becomes a relationship. So, you know, I can guarantee you don't want me hanging drywall. <laughs> I'm not good yeah, at it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah. I, I have attempted. I mean, we just were able to <laughs> sure. go ahead. <laughs> it's yeah. not, I mean, it, there's nothing in there. I'm not willing to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in a previous life, when I joined the Air Force at 17, for four years, I was a mechanic, uh, at least on paper. And uh, I did not have a strong mechanical aptitude. You know, uh, I was not good at it. Mm-hmm. I was just not, I was never going to be a great, you know, aircraft maintenance technician. So years later, people are like, well, how can that be? How can you fly? I say, well, flying them and breaking them is different yeah, than, than fixing, fixing. And so right. like, I would not trust my family's life in an airplane that I had worked on. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I might be able to land it on short final, you know, with an engine shut down and strong crosswinds. Just don't ask me to replace the fuel pump. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I get it. And I so in, um, in a few, a couple leadership jobs ago, I was leading a, a really diverse medical operation. Now, I don't, I have zero clinical background and, uh, few hundred people that were in my organization were, you know, MDs, DOs, nurse practitioners, a couple hundred RNs. And so once I had established, you know, from an executive level, my leadership credibility, Mm -hmm. I would go to different stations, you know, triage or, you know, uh, emergency response and would ask like somebody, you know, a a 25 year old LVN, um, Hey, can you show me how to do this? But without us violating any medical laws and they, they found it adorable. Yeah, like the right. boss was just like, oh my gosh, this is a guy that leads us. Like, because they they thought it was cute how little I knew right, right about the nuts and bolts of what they did, and yet I think they appreciate it. Sure, he could be anywhere else, but he's here right now. Yeah. Right. So now I believe, um, you know, for us to gain respect, it is showing respect also. Um, so the same, you know, if you were leading troops in the trenches, you know, it's it's taking command, but not, not necessarily demean, not, not demeaning, not, oh, you know, no, and listening yeah. and, and valuing right. input because 
I don't have all the answers. Right. You know, that's right. let's do that's right. But when it all comes down to it, I've got to be the one to make the decisions because, you know, it's me on the line. Yeah. And that, so you have right. to do that. But when you're willing to listen, then they respect, you know, you end up that mutual respect. Yeah. One of the things that it took me a while to figure out and, once I cracked the code, I was more purposeful at expanding my skill set, which is we, we all, by personality disposition, might have one or two leadership styles that we naturally lean into every time. Right. And again, while I would never try to equate uh, the boss and the team with like the mom and the kids, I'll just use that example. It's one thing for a mom to gently help her three-year-old know why she should put her toys away. But when that same three-year-old is about to walk into a busy intersection, right? All right, mom's got to find a different leadership style, right? much more commanding, authoritative. And in both instances, those two different styles were correct. And so early on, I had a relatively limited spectrum of leadership tools. And what I found was that they were not always ideally suited to both the people and the context right. at hand. And slowly, as I figured that out the hard way, I began to expand out, you know, the, the number of different things you can share sure. to. Yeah. Well, we've talked, we've talked about that before, even with our kids, you know, sometimes they'll ask, you know, they all want to always want to know why, but why, but why, right. you right. know? And, and there were times where I'm just like, y'all, it doesn't matter. Because I'm the mom. That's, that's why. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm tired of that's explaining right. every single you yeah, know, decision. Right. And, that you know, at, at some point you have to just say, because that's just the way it is. Yeah. There are other times that I could sit down and explain, you know, there, there are these dangers. There are these things. When, when there was time, sit and discuss it. And we would talk through those things. And a lot of times they could understand. Sure. Other times I had to say, you know, something, this isn't anything, you know, it's nothing your fault you're never going to be able to understand because you are not a parent and you haven't seen the things that I've seen. Yeah. And I can guarantee when you become a parent, you're going to be like, I totally get yeah. why mom wasn't yeah, yeah, comfortable yeah, yeah. with this. Yeah. What, but, you know, and I just yeah. have to say, you know, you're not going to understand until yeah. you have your own kids. That's right. You know, the, 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 the age old um, challenge, like, and finally, like, because like you said, it, look, because I said so. Right. And, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, even in a, a workplace setting, uh, you know, we live in a pretty touchy-feely, you know, sure. era, right? But but there are times when the nature of a problem necessitates a leader to be extremely commanding in his or her delivery. Sure. Uh, if we are planning the company Christmas party, then that's going to probably be consultative, collaborative, democratic. Right, right. If the fire alarm goes off and one of the exits is blocked with smoke, if the leader stands up and barks that we are all going out that door, starting back to front, do not skip line, single file, um, that exercise of authoritative leadership is extraordinarily appropriate right. for that moment, right? And, and again, that's where I try to encourage people, if you, if you have a style or two that is most natural, don't apologize for it. Because right. there are times when that is needed, just be mindful that there may be other ways yeah. based on the, the circumstances. Yeah. Well, I think it's important too. you know, I mean, I have had employees who wanted to question everything I did and I'm willing, I've always tried to be willing to listen um, to ideas mm -hmm. and okay, maybe it's better, you know, 
but there's also timing in that. And, you know, I mean, when, when you have a full busy day and things need to get done, you don't have time, you know, and so this is from whether, you know, if you're an employee or, or a child or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. there is a timing and an approach where you can discuss other ideas right. in the middle of getting things done right. isn't That's the right. time, which is probably going to undo what you might have, you know, what you might gain yeah. by coming at the right time right. and talking about it. Whereas if you're one of those who's constantly just questioning yeah. everything yeah. when you need to get done, you just become annoying at that point. That's just it. Right. And and after a while, you can typically detect what is motivating that person to ask why. Because some people, they ask the leader why a lot because they, they genuinely want to grow and develop. And they're curious. Right. Okay. They are genuinely curious. How did you arrive at that decision? You know, what, what were the variables you were considering? Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that are pretty easy to figure out. They're just ankle biters, and they—that's—that's yeah. that's their passive aggressive way right. of of you know they're they're too scared to confront. They're bitter. They're miserable, and, and their way is to pretend <laughs> like these are. I'm posing these benign questions when really this is your passive aggressive way right, of right. trying to undermine you know the legitimacy legitimacy of whatever I decided. And and fortunately, they're not nearly as good at conveying that as they think they are because sincerity over the long run is probably the hardest attribute to fake right right you know your, your, your people right that you've led they they'll know they don't have to like you or agree with you or a particular decision but i don't i mean do you think that, that that empathy is something that in the short run you might be able to fool somebody but in the long run yeah i mean you people can you know and and i can take this into the whole even the dating world right you know i mean they tell you date somebody for four seasons at least because <laughs> you see the, yeah. you know, but people can put on a show for a little while. Yeah. Um, but the true who they are comes out yeah. eventually. And whether that's as a boss, I mean, you know, there, there have been organizations and small companies and things like that, that I have, I've worked for where from the outside, it looked like, Oh man, that's gotta be a great place yeah. to work. Yeah. And, you know, and and I did have a boss at one point. You know, it was awful, but he was very good at show. So in front of, hey, we're going to do this for the community and blah, blah you know, yeah. and things like that because it gave yeah. him the press. <laughs> but when you were in the office with him. It's not the vibe you picked no, up on. No, <laughs> it was not, you know, yeah. and, you know, it people would walk in and just like waiting to see what the mood of he, you know, what his mood was going to be and how you were going to tiptoe yeah. around things. And, you know, so, but on the camera and when you saw him, they're like, man, you know, people come in, it must be great to work here. And I'm like, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the leader needs to set that mood. Um, that's and that's where, you know, I mean, real leadership, it's your true self you're going to be authentic. You're going to be sincere. And that is going to make people want to yeah, follow. I, I think so. I think so. And if, if you were to ask people, you know, name your favorite coach, name your favorite teacher, uh, name your favorite aunt or uncle as a kid, um, they're probably not going to say, oh, well, it was this coach, teacher, aunt, because they were 
you know, maybe the smartest right. or had won the most awards. There's probably somebody that made that person you're asking feel safe, trusted, valued, mm-hmm. worthy. And sometimes due to the the managerial demands on us as leaders, right? Keeping all the trains running on time. Right. We we sometimes get so busy we we overlook those simple but foundational emotional components. Like so if if you're hitting every number, if you're looking good on camera like right, this preceding right. loss, uh, wonderful. But in the long run, because I wrote down a word there you said about the mood. I mean Nobody has their hand on the rheostat of the temperature of an organization like the leader. Right. And there is nothing worse than walking into a place where you have to first figure out what kind of a mood is the boss in. Do I need to be on eggshells today? Um, boy, that can really wear you down. Right. And for some people, that can trigger some deep-seated emotional anguish because they may have grown up in a household, right, where somebody – a mom or a dad or a sibling or – Yeah. Know, right? And so we're not people's psychologists or therapists – but as a leader, um, some, you know, mistakes I made sometimes was just letting that show too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in a sour mood. Before you know it, there's like a gray cloud over the entire building. Right. And it right. was my fault. Yeah. It was, it was my fault. Um, and so I couldn't agree with you more that that sincerity and empathy in the long run is, is you got to be a real sociopath to be able to fake that. Yeah. We're, we're going to sniff that out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, um you know, so we talk, you know, authenticity. And I actually went to a, um, a women's networking event where they, this probably 10 years ago, but talked about, and they were talking about authenticity. And people can, it's amazing that when you're authentic, it comes out very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, I was grouped in with these women, with a group of women to talk, and I had not met any of them. And they were talking about things that they think make you authentic or this or that. And one of them turned and looked at me, and they were like, You, it's you. You're authentic. And I was like, Oh, wow. You know, because you're not trying, you're just right. being yeah. yourself. Yeah. And, being willing to learn and yeah. being willing to listen. So that it, you're right. I mean, it's not something you can fake. Yeah, that's it's a, not. Well, yeah. I mean, the, and the way you're saying it, I'm, I'm thinking, um, I don't want to get into semantics, but I'm wondering like authenticity isn't necessarily something you create. It might be something that you simply reveal because mm-hmm. it is it, there or it isn't. Right. right? Uh, I'll with, with thunder over Louisville, you know, upon us, uh, it, it sparked my memory as we're talking about authenticity. I was at what is called a red flag exercise. It was out it's in Nellis near Las Vegas. It's a huge combat exercise uh, held every so often where there's just a ton of aircraft that show up. Anyway, after each day, there would be this massive debrief where every plane that flew is represented in this auditorium. And the first couple of formations stand up and and everything was recorded. Everybody's got a tracker. I mean, every, you, your business is on yeah, front street. Right, Everybody knows right. what happened. And the first few uh, flights of uh, aircraft, you know, their their flight leads stand up and had excuses. Why, well, why we didn't do this and why this went wrong. Then about the third or fourth plane to, to stand up was the flight lead for the F-22 Raptors, which is the meanest air superiority aircraft on the planet. There, there is no plane that beats the F-22. And this guy 
was the flight lead of that package. So he's the alpha alpha in this room. And he stands up and he leads with the mistakes he made that at different times throughout that four hour you know, <laughs> ordeal created uh, missed opportunities or problems. Well, when the most qualified aviator in the room in front of 400 people stands up and pulls the you know curtain back on all the mistakes he thought he made, um, what do you think that did to the tone? I mean, every person from that point forward suddenly took that approach. Right. And it made the people that were basically playing, you know, jailhouse lawyer seem really like small and petty. And right. well, I, I remember that exchange like it was yesterday. That was probably 10 years ago um, because that was authentic. Yeah. That was obviously a man who was self-assured. He knew what he was all about and he was going to lead with some deficiencies. Right. And that just created that had that had a monumental impact on the entire tone of the room. Well, when we are when we are setting out and our goal is strictly to impress somebody else and other people and we want you know we want to be respected, I deserve to be respected, I'm the best in my class, you know, things like that. Yeah. It it has a bit of an opposite effect because again, you can smell out phony yeah. If you're trying too hard to be what everybody, what you want everybody to believe that, you know, that whole fake it till you make yeah. it is uh, it's not, cute, you know, but right. It's a, it's a cute slogan. Right. But it, it doesn't have like long-term utility. I don't, I don't think. No. Um, going through now that, that to me, you know, I've used that term fake it till you make it, but it's more about um, going through the habits that you want to make, mm -hmm. you know, if I know that I want to be somebody who is, who works out every morning and I want to be fit and I want, you know, I'm like, and because I can't fake being muscle bound or I can't, fake, you know, those yeah, sort yeah, of things. Yeah, there's some, right. <laughs> but I'm going to do everything that they do until I get there. So I just think right. a lot of times, Fake it till you make it is more of a going through the habit, you know, the things, the habit making actions that, right. that will get you to where you want to be, but not necessarily trying, you know, I mean, it's, it's just still a fine line because it still needs to be you. Right. And, you know, I, nobody's ever accused me of being a neuroscientist, but I know enough about the physiology of our neuroanatomy to know that there's this miraculous little component called the basal ganglia that is foundational to the development of both good and bad habits. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, whatever the wellspring of your ethos is, uh, it's hard to really come up with a habit, good or bad, that doesn't somehow flow from whatever's inside of you. Right, right. right. It's hard to be like a wonderful person and develop like an evil habit or be an evil person and develop a right. altruistic habit. But through things like, you know, you brought up a tangible example about exercising. I mean, if we know that there are certain behaviors that we should begin to engage in, they might not come natural or feel comfortable at first, but through repetition, you are rewiring the yeah. neurotransmitters in your brain to say, okay, that we, we, we're going to keep doing this. And eventually it can create some inertia on its own. And even things such as empathy or 
sincerity or expressing, you know, you know, genuineness in a, in a conversation. That's a behavior right. that, that can actually be developed. Yeah. It just takes it us sometimes to slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. And like any, like, exactly. You know, the first time I dribbled a basketball, it looked all, you know, uncoordinated and discombobulated. It probably still looks that way. <laughs> but, you know, we kind of expect, hey, if I do this every day, it'll eventually look and feel and come off natural. Right. Interpersonal skills, I think, are kind of the same way. Yeah. If you're starting from a good, you know, noble motivation. Right. So, well, we are about out of time, but I, um, you've got, again, Thunder over Louisville this weekend. So you mm-hmm. will be um, one of the I'm voices the, in yes, the a narrator, right. So once upon a time, I flew in Thunder. Then they asked me to help organize it. Then they asked me just to narrate it. Eventually, they're going to put me in a corner and say, why don't you just watch yeah, it? Like just they're, watch. they're slowly removing my responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's younger, better men and women, Sean, that can do this. We'll let them have a crack. Right. <laughs> well, you're still in there. so Yeah, um, yeah. But, and you can't beat the view. 24th yeah. floor of the Gold House, Bright Show Center, uh, working with a great team of people. Yeah, it, yeah. It is, I'm blessed to do it. I really am. So, um, so yeah, that is, and it, that is a whole, whole group of leaders. Yeah. In that room, you know, I mean, that come together and are able to allow and and look at, you know, one person has um, more talent in this area. And so they're going to lead here. Yeah. And another person has more talent in this, you know, so that they're they're willing to work as a team. Right. And do that. And and and, yeah, that's maybe a good point to wrap it up on. Uh, It's consistent what we've been talking about. In many of those cases, the organizational chart, if you will, uh, for Thunder over Louisville is extremely populated with dotted lines. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of hard and fast, like HR facilitated relationships. Right. It's a lot of just mutual respect and trust, uh, such that when you have the talent or resources to fulfill a small need and you're asked to do it, you know people just roll their sleeves up and do it. Right. Uh, nobody says, well, you're not, you're not my official boss. You can't order me. You don't, uh, you don't hear that at all. And I right. think if you, if that person would quickly ostracize themselves sure, from that sure. group. That is a very collegial and collaborative group. And there's a reason that some of the people who are doing it under the overall tutelage of Wayne Hedinger right. was there from ground zero. Um, some of those people have been with us for 30 years. Yeah. Some, yeah. Of, some of the originals are still doing it. And how do you get people to volunteer for three decades? There has to be trust, right, respect, right. and all those things we've been talking about. So, all right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Um, we will be back next week, but this will be if you if if it did get missed, it'll be on the on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, um, and on some of the podcast sites. So, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.